0: Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers.
1: Come on, everybody. Here we go.
2: <laughs> Up to Neverland. <laughs> Think
3: of a
1: you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 97, Christmas Peter Pan. Christmas.
0: It's the peyote. you go like in the
2: This podcast is brought to you by the Roto Nation, the official fan club of the Animation Addicts Podcast. If you want to know how to join the Roto Nation, check out Rotoscopers.com/slash Patron or rotoscopers.com slash patreon you can join exclusive call-in shows get cool swag be entered in to win awesome prizes and make friends who love animated movies as much as you do once again check out rotoscopers.com slash patron or rotoscopers.com slash patreon every
4: dream that you
0: dream will come, true. come on Nana. when there's a smile in your heart
1: Welcome to the Animation NX Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling, Chelsea Robson, and Mason Smith. Say hello, guys.
2: Hey, howdy. Hey, I'm on a (laughs) (laughs) yo-yo.
1: And we also have a very special guest host, Lou Mangiello from WDW Radio.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. So for those of you who don't know, Lou Mangello, he's the host of an epic, amazing Disney podcast. He's basically one of the biggest names in the Disney podcasting world. And we're friends with him. We met up with him recently at the Podcast Awards and the New Media Expo. And as we were talking with him, we were talking about what's your favorite Disney movie. And he mentioned Peter Pan. And we thought, oh, we haven't done that in a long time. we Or we haven't done that at all. We should definitely do that. And as we were thinking about it, we decided to bring Lou onto the show so you guys could see how awesome. Awesome. He is too, if you don't already listen to his show. So Lou, just really quick about you. Just introduce yourself for anyone who has no idea, maybe your your one minute pitch about how you got into the world of
0: Disney podcasting. Cool. Long story short, I used to be a lawyer in New Jersey and had an IT consulting company set out to write a book, and all I knew about was Disney World. Uh, saw podcasting coming down the pike in 2005. and next thing you know, I'm blogging and podcasting about all things Disney, and fast forward to 2007, I ended up leaving it all behind, selling my house, moving to Orlando, and I have basically uh, turned my passion into my profession about all things Disney, and I've been podcasting for a little more than 10 years.
2: Best job ever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, 10 years, huh? Yeah, like an old man in podcasting. <laughs> I
4: know, you're like the old timer.
1: Him and Leo. Lou and Leo, together. (laughs) Lou and Leo. (laughs) So for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts Podcast is a show where we talk about our love of animation and animated films. Each episode, we dive into the archives and we review a movie from long ago or a movie from that just got released last week. And this episode, like mentioned, we are going to be reviewing Peter Pan, which is one of Disney's classic animated films. And we're really excited to get into it. So before we do that, we are going to do some special segments.
2: It is a long-time tradition here with the Rotoscopers where we do a game called Catch and Fire. It is a rapid-fire questions of get-to-know-you game kind of with all of our new guests. And, Lou, are you ready for this?
0: I am heavily caffeinated and ready to go.
2: (laughs) Good. You're going to need every last bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: then. How about a quick round of catch and fire? Catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage.
2: All right. Your first question is, what is the first animated movie you remember seeing? Peter Pan. (laughs) What is your favorite cartoon growing up?
0: Oh, my gosh. uh, Scooby-Doo.
2: What is your favorite animated movie? peter pan favorite <laughs> animator slash artist
0: oh my gosh um god i was not ready for this uh Ward <laughs> kimball
2: classic animation or cgi
0: <sighs> classic
2: favorite animation studio walt disney all right disney or pixar
0: <clears throat> disney
2: Leica or studio ghibli
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Studio Ghibli.
2: <laughs> Here's a good question. Disney princes or princesses?
0: <laughs> I'm be going to say, how you yeah, I'm <laughs> going to say Disney princesses and just leave it at that.
2: Heroes or villains?
0: Oh, heroes all the way.
2: Stitch or Tinkerbell?
0: Tinkerbell. Come on.
2: Mickey, Goofy, or Donald?
0: <laughs> Mickey. Donald has an attitude problem.
2: (laughs) All right. Here's a good one. Huey, Dewey, or Louie?
0: Louie. I dig the name.
2: (laughs) Favorite animated dog?
0: Uh, Scooby-Doo.
2: People or anthropomorphic? (laughs) What do you come up with as people? (laughs) Okay. Do you like people, (laughs) (laughs) Songs in an animated film or no songs? Songs. Let's see. Who would win in a fight? King Fergus or Stoic the Vast?
0: (laughs) I don't know who they are. (laughs) I'll say King Fergus because he's got people who could probably help him. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I stink at this game.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're getting we're getting down to some good. This is ones. the whole
4: point. It's just rapid fire questions to get to know you.
2: <laughs> All right, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Snow White. Tiana or Mulan? Mulan. Who would win in a fight, Frozone or Elsa?
0: <laughs> Frozone.
2: <laughs> Honey, where's my sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Summer releases or winter releases? winter. All right. And here's one that I really want to know. Disneyland or Disney World?
0: <sighs> you stink. Uh, Walt Disney World.
2: All right. And here is our final question. Are you ready? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Which movie would you rather watch? Cinderella 2 or Return of Jafar?
0: I <laughs> Am I in prison when I'm watching this? Is that the <laughs> yes. punishment? Yes, you um, are. Return, a, uh, sorry. return of Jafar.
2: 52 out of 52. Well done. Congratulations, Lou Mangiello. You have passed <laughs> the Rotoscopers Catch and Fire. How do you feel?
0: I'm wondering what it takes to fail <laughs> Catch and Fire. <laughs>
4: We hope we never find out so far everyone has passed.
0: <laughs> You're all winners here.
4: <laughs> Hooray. Right.
0: I tried to make it easy for you. You said rapid fire, so um, I tried to keep it short.
4: Well, you know, uh you said uh Peter Pan was the first animated film you remember watching. That one was mine too. If you ask my mom, it was one of the re releases, I guess.
0: Yeah, I can't remember, you know, what the real one was, so I just folded under the pressure. <laughs> Oh, you! T- <laughs> that was a lie. I lied. I, I'm clearly, I'm a pathological liar.
4: Yeah, I'm tweeting that right now, Lewis. Lies, At Lou. Oh, a pirate's life is a wonderful
5: life for roving
0: over the sea. It'd be a career as a buccaneer. It's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the
3: life of a pirate for me.
4: Whoa, All right, folks. In February, 1953, uh, Peter Pan. Was released. It was a uh, you know fairly successful, a little over fifteen million in the uh, you know the U.S. box office, and then they had re-releases nineteen eighty two and nineteen eighty nine. So I'm guessing I saw the nineteen eighty nine one because I was born in eighty eight. So yeah, wow, my parents were brave bringing like a one year old to a movie theater. This was kind of a long time coming, and I, I learned this in the making of feature, you know, doing my research. But uh, this one is called You Can Fly. And, uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen it, it's got this, like, cheesy intro by Walt Disney himself. Gorsh. And, uh, he's, uh, <laughs> have you seen it? He's, like, ringing this tiny bell that's, and, and he can't hear it. He's like, no, there's nothing wrong with your computer. This is a, this is a, <laughs> what is, he says it's like a pixie. Yeah, it, this is a pixie bell. And it has a you know supersonic frequencies, and then like they always do because Tinkerbell is is one of the great Disney mascots. They have the superimposed Tinkerbell that flies around. You know, I remember her in the um, the Wonderful World of Disney, and then of course they did this for this you know publicity intro by Walt Disney. You know, the production story of Peter Pan goes back a long way. You know, right after Snow White, or you know around that time, you can pretty much trace the production of Peter Pan. Like all the way back to the 30s. Doing my research, it was also apparent that Walt had seen the stage version as a boy. And I always forget that Peter Pan was like, was a, you know, a play, you know, not necessarily a novel. I mean, I saw Finding Neverland, but I like, you know, you forget. 1939, the screen rights were acquired. And then in 1940, they had already begun storyboarding. And so, this one artist, David Hall, he did the storyboards and a lot of the visual development. For you know the early early stages of Peter Pan, and I kind of like it if you can find it online or even watch this uh, you know the making of featurette. You can see that the whole tone of it was a lot darker and more sinister. You know according to this uh, story art that David Hall would draw uh, would draw, and I think that would have been awesome. Like hey let's take the dungeon of the wicked queen in Snow White and just extrapolate that into an entire movie about like pirates and. You know, Indians and, you know, adventure and time bombs dis- <laughs> disguised as, as presents. There's also like an elaborate musical number by the pirates that they cut. If you hear it, it's definitely not as good as, uh, I think it's called the Elegant Captain Hook, you know, when they're trying to get the Lost Boys to, um, to join forces with them. But it's along the same lines. They're trying to, you know, hire them up. Mm-hmm. Of course, the War Cods uh, production to be suspended. And then, what I thought was interesting watching this feature is that they actually made a live action version of sequences of the film, in it, and it was created specifically for the animators to have live action reference. And of course, like whether you're animating like hand drawn or like CG, you've got to have that live action reference to kind of have that that base to start from, you know. And then you can make the animation as you know zany and cartoony as you want, but. Um I don't know. When I first first started out studying animation, I was really surprised how important live action references. And in here for Peter Pan, they almost made like the whole length film in this, uh, you know, this live action film for the animators.
2: You know, my earliest memory of Peter Pan. You guys are talking about how this was your guys's first movie. I remember watching this movie on VHS because it came out on the re-release of VHS was in 1990. And I just remember sitting on the floor in my living room, about three feet from my TV, thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. I just... Oh, like the VHS or the Peter Pan? Peter Pan on VHS. I mean, just the fact that you're, you're sitting on your floor watching this movie come to life. And it really does come to life.
0: Um, I actually remember as a kid, and I don't remember what I saw first. I don't remember if I saw the movie first, but I have like vivid recollection of going to Broadway as a kid with my parents and seeing Peter Pan on stage really? with Sandy Duncan. Yeah. It, wow. Peter, Pan was, Peter Pan was always traditionally played by a woman. Right. And I remember Sandy Duncan in her little, short little pixie hairdo literally like flying over the audience. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And that maybe is one of the wow. reasons why I like the movie so much.
1: That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Now, was it the musical or the original, original play?
0: I'm going to say I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um you no, know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember when it was. I have to ask my mother. She'll tell me, though. Know. Oh, yeah,
4: because you get into, like, different versions.
1: Yeah, there have been a lot of iterations of this story over the years. Um, obviously, it started out as a uh, – it actually started out as sort of a short story within um, a larger novel, Uh, by James M. Barry, It was called The Little White Bird, um, and it was so popular, this character of Peter Pan, that they... they, The publisher had them take those chapters out. There were about a handful of chapters that focused on this Peter Pan story, and they released it as a separate book um, called Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens. Um, And also, that story was later expanded even further into Peter Pan, the boy who wouldn't grow up, uh, meaning expanded into the play. So... Uh, that is the very first iteration of that, where, you know, James M. Barry had these very, very famous characters that everyone loved. He had a sequel, which was called Peter and Wendy, and then there have been a handful of films over the years. There was a 1924 version; it was a silent film. Um, then, then uh, a couple decades later, it was Disney's version, version and we didn't see any more adaptations um, directly, you know, Peter Pan adaptations until 2003. And then there, there uh, recently there was a 2015 Peter and Wendy two-hour drama um, uh, that aired on British TV. Um, Oof, but there have drama. been some spin-offs. Uh, Hook from 1991, everyone knows Hook. Woo! How it, it takes this Peter Pan story, but it's not a direct, I guess, adaptation. It takes some liberties with the story. Return to Neverland, which is the sequel to this film. Maybe we should add that to our Catch and Fire list. <laughs> right. And then, upcoming later this year is Pan which is directed by Joe Wright and has quite a few people in it. And, you know, people are pumped for that movie. But, you know, reading through that and seeing all the the different films that have been done over the years, I, you know, there's only been about seven-ish. And I was actually surprised. I would have thought there had been a lot more considering, you know, this character's in public domain more or less and uh, very, very popular still to this
2: day. The 2003 version, I love that version. And then also, you know, Finding Neverland, Changed my whole view of the whole story it was so good um, so yeah all of these it's such a great story he did such a good job with it
1: oh I've forgotten one thing I've forgotten the Tinkerbell franchise we'll talk about Tinkerbell and her popularity oh, that boy. has its own spinoff <laughs> and now there's a new live action Tinkerbell movie that's going to star Reese Witherspoon
0: double O so
1: <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah enough said but I like Tinkerbell I think she's cool <laughs>
0: Uh, one of the things that I loved, uh, as I came to know more about the story is just how much Walt Disney himself really enjoyed it, right? He, he loved it so much. He was actually in the play as a child and he wanted to make this film desperately. In, in fact, this was actually supposed to be the second full-length animated feature, not Pinocchio, but, um, but Peter Pan. Uh, and if you go back as early as 1941, you'll see that work had already begun on the film, but for a variety of reasons, it, it never it never got to be made at that time.
4: Thanks, War.
2: <laughs> as a kid, I remember that like the credits at the beginning of the movie were so boring. I was like, ugh, just fast forward, get to the actual story, you know? But, as I grow up and i 'm watching these credits roll, I can appreciate them so much more
0: yeah as i 've gotten older and come to know the names and understand more and actually get to start to recognize some of their work when you see that like this was the the last time that the nine old men worked together and you see like Mary Blair and Claude Coates and John hench and Don degratty, like you start to see those names over and over again as we appreciate the classic movies, and it really makes you and that 's why when you ask me. If I prefer CG versus uh, hand drawn animation, that's some of the reasons why I-, I love the classic Disney animation so much.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Like they they were definitely masters.
1: And I think that's one reason why this film is so so great. Just the character animation in itself is extraordinary. They were truly masters at their art and and what they could do, expressing you know characters' emotions, feelings, um, and every character in this this film is wonderfully animated and we will see over the years how that animation quality will decline. Um, But unfortunately not for this, it's really, really a good thing that we got them all here.
4: Yep. No Xerox here.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we're introduced to this family and I love the narrator at the very beginning. He says, this has all happened before and will all happen again. That, um, you know, very classic line, but it gets you. through very circle of life. I think if you're little, you wouldn't pay attention to that very much, but Going into this, especially having watched the film many times, you you begin to think, okay, this is not a unique circumstance of this story.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, we're introduced to the family. I forget that Mrs. Darling exists because Mr. Darling has such this boisterous, large <laughs> personality. I really love it,
1: George. <laughs> I t- I noticed that too this time. I was I was watching each one of the characters as I was watching this film, or I watching the very beginning. And Mister Darling stood out, the children stood out, Nana stood out, but Missus Darling, she's just even the way that her character is designed. She doesn't really have any exaggerated features or anything too grandiose about her, um, and she just sort of fades into the background, which. Um, I definitely noticed this time around. She she does play a part. She's definitely a foil to Mr. Darling, um, but he takes center stage, especially in this beginning uh, situation where he really takes over as the man of the house.
4: Well, yeah, this was uh, Hans Conried, in, uh, I didn't know this, this is a tradition for Peter Pan for the same actor to be cast for both Captain Hook and Mr. Darling. And so in this film, uh, of course, Hans Conried played both. And I, like, always knew that as a kid, but, you know, doing my research, now it all kind of fits together. And I think it's really cool that they adhere to that tradition. And I kind of think they look the same, even though Mr. Darling's got more of a squashy features instead of, like, a elongated features like uh, Cat and the Hook. But I like him. He is so busy, he does not have time for anything. And he can't even get dressed properly unless Mrs. Darling helps him. You know, that's a man who's got commitments, and I like it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know, that
0: scene – sorry, go, Lou. No, sorry. Uh, uh, just real quick, you know, when you talked about that the, this has all happened before and will happen again, for some reason every time I hear that line, I, I think of Mary Poppins, right? And the reason why is because at the beginning of Mary oh, Poppins, yeah. you know, Bert talks about, you know, the winds from the east, mist coming in can't tell what's co- what's coming but i fear what's to happen has all happened before like it's the same kind of thing that somebody comes in to help this family the same you know peter pan does the same way that mary poppins does
4: oh yeah you know it's almost like a it's almost like a mythological thing or not necessarily that but that there's like a that he's like this legendary character that exists throughout time you know that's kind of a cool concept wow i really did not pay attention to this line that much until tonight <laughs>
1: And now you'll never forget it.
4: Now I'll never forget it. That should be our intro for some of our episodes.
1: <laughs> if it sounds familiar, it's because we talk about the same thing every episode. It'll all happen again. <laughs> Right. So going into the children, um, which of your which of these three was your favorite? We have John, who's sort of the the nerd, um, very very smart. We have Michael, who's the youngin, and he likes to pretend to be Peter Pan. Wendy, who is the eldest, and as they say, the supreme authority on Peter Pan and all of his marvelous adventures. Yeah,
4: but how does she know so much about him? Is this like a, a guy that they talk about at school? You know. <laughs> Well, I'm that Peter Pan wouldn't take crap from the lunch lady, you know? <laughs> I mean, where does it all come from?
2: Well, I think she just makes it up. I mean, it talks about the, in the beginning um, how everybody believed in Peter Pan, but in their own way. So... Hmm. She, I do
4: believe in fairies.
2: Yeah. I mean, the mom just saw it as, yes, I believe in him as, you know, the spirit of youth. And then, you know, Mr. Darling is just like, whatever. <laughs> I don't believe in this <laughs> at all. And then, um, you know, Michael and John, they kind of see this as telling fact. Older sister, come on now. Um, huh. They just all have their own idea of what he is. And that's like, she just makes it up. She's got an incredible imagination.
4: Yeah, totally. You know, um can my favorite child be Nana, but well, she's not really a child?
2: <laughs> yes, I will give you permission.
0: <laughs> I like Michael. Uh I I maybe the fact that he is the youngest and he's got his ter- teddy bear. I think that's still like playful, whimsical, childlike. He has complete innocence about him about the whole thing, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think he's so endearing.
4: I'll take that. Yeah, Michael's definitely I'm definitely leaning towards Michael. For some reason, like, I appreciate an intellectual and a scholarly type, but there's no place for one on, you know, in Neverland, you know, with, what is it called, Cannibal Cove, (laughs) you know, and all that stuff. You know, early, okay, going back to Nana, because I I really want to focus on this awesome dog. You know, she could be like one of those dogs that, like, has that little, you know, that little keg of drink that those St. Bernards carry around, you know, they go out and rescue people. She could be one of those. <laughs> you know, in early production, Nana was supposed to have traveled to Neverland with Peter and the children. Was that part of the play?
2: I yeah, really I no wanted her to. I think she well, was in the play. I mean I well, I know, remember something. If
4: Nana know. had traveled to Neverland, then you know that would kind of upstage Wendy's role as the the influence of like emerging adulthood and like moving on from being a kid to being an adult. So maybe it was best that she stayed, but she sure sure looked sad when she couldn't go to Neverland with them.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting with all these characters, you you kind of reminded me of this. So Nana, she's um, a dog, but she's pretending or playing the part of a nursemaid. You know, she's something that she's not. And the same thing with... Uh, with Wendy, is she's 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 a child, but she kind of has this motherly role. So she's doing something that she's not, you know, quite ready for. But she's kind of thrown into just like Nana's thrown into this because clearly no one else can take care of the children because they're the parents are off partying all over the place. Um, but anyways, I like Nana.
4: Yeah, she's a dog that acts like a human, and she's the exact opposite of the nanny lady in uh, One Hundred One Dalmatians. You know, who at times seems almost canine. <laughs>
2: I like that one.
1: Okay, so we go in, and they are playing Peter Pan, and I love just the way that they introduce these characters, because we're introduced to the parents in their room and their issues, and then it just scans over to another room, and, and the children are playing, they're having a great time, and they're using all these household items for their games, and they have the cufflinks, and they're using them as a buried treasure, and then they have, now this is one thing that I never quite understood what it was, but it's a shirt front, um, and they use it as the the, you know, the map, which I've never been cool enough or rich enough or invited to a party where a shirt front is necessary, but I hope <laughs> to one day to have that happen. Yes. <laughs> Not for me, but for my date.
2: You know, that scene though, when she's like doing, like fixing his tie or whatever, and he's like going all crazy, um it just always made me wish I knew how to tie a bow tie. And I even like went on YouTube and like tried to learn, but
4: never really could. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not really a bow tie guy, but I got neckties down pretty well. I How many knots good do you at do? <laughs> Oh, I do a Windsor. You know, I do the whoop and then the whoop and then just kind of whoop, if you can visualize that. <laughs> oh no, it's great. great. They they have like near perfect dimples on them.
1: <laughs> so I you just wonder, after- like,
0: what kind of parents leave their kids at home with the dog? Like, I wasn't left home at home with, like by myself till I was like 19.
1: Well, yeah, that was my thing. I'm like, she can't be that old, Wendy. You know, maybe 11, maybe 12, but I... These parents, it's like, okay, we lock the door, so everything's okay, but then later they're upset that the the window's open and she's hanging out by the window. Um I, I don't Absolutely know. They don't is, want
4: their kids getting out. <laughs>
1: yeah, prisoners. <laughs> but yeah, uh, either they have so much confidence in this dog or they're just bad parents, too.
4: It's an important business across- engagement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so then uh father he puts his foot down and you know A says, oh, you know, yeah. it's high time, she had a room of her own, young lady, it's your last night in the nursery. Ooh
4: Boom. Source yeah. of major thematic conflict.
1: Big <laughs> big bomb has been dropped in the Darling Household. <laughs> But, like, I don't know. You'd think people, they clearly have money. Uh, they would each have a room of their own. I don't think you would, you know, if you have options, each kid gets their own room so they can do what they want. But, no, they all three are in, in the same room, which is interesting. And if I were her, I'd personally love my own room, but it's the end of the world for her, and she's very, very sad. And I guess it's because it shows it's the end of an era. She, you know, I I kind of felt this way, not wanting to grow up. I kind of just loved being in never-ending childhood, even though it did end, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I do think there are a lot of themes in this movie and it, this one sets it up that like eventually you have to grow up and sometimes it's a, an event like this and other times it's just slowly. Or other times you have Peter Pan syndrome and you don't.
4: Yeah, Wendy learns she has to grow up and Peter Pan learns that you must pick one girl that you like. Jeez. <laughs> anyway. I started out writing about a love triangle in this movie but man, it just turned into like a octagon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, it's a really interesting theme, you know. And uh, well, they treat
0: they treat growing up like it's a punishment. Like, <laughs> that's it. Now you're gonna get a room of your own, like, young lady. Like it or not.
4: <laughs> so help me. I'm getting
0: an iPhone six. That's it. You're done.
2: <laughs> Dang it!
4: <laughs> Excellent.
2: Here's the thing, though. As as she's leaving, and she's like lock going to close the window, and and Wendy says, "Oh, don't do lock it, mother. He might come back." he and then she's just like <laughs> yes That's oh gold. peter pan and it's like okay i don't care who you think that peter pan is this like <laughs> idea she th- yes, yeah, she thinks that peter pan's the idea of childhood or whatever i would definitely not let that just blow off it's like
0: it's all too real
2: like okay wait no people like there's a boy in your room no what no
0: no <laughs> This is a bad beginning to Law and Order SVU. Like, uh, but mom, Peter Pan's going to come back into my room. Yeah, I don't think so.
4: We should, we need to play that uh, sound effect of the (laughs) gavel. Yeah. Yeah. And so here he comes, you know. Okay. So there might be some discrepancies because apparently Walt Disney played Peter Pan in a high school play. So is this the first time a boy had played Peter in a major release?
0: Yeah, I mean in terms of, you know, Broadway plays and and films and things like that cuz traditionally yes, like major he was played, productions. Yeah, traditionally he was played by a girl. So Bobby Driscoll was actually the first obviously voiceover actor, but first sort of actor to play in, in a major role.
4: Yeah, yeah. And he was so boyishly depicted in this version as opposed to in stage versions and in the, even in the silent film version he Pan's character seems very feminine because yeah, he is depicted by a female and um, so this was a this was a big step. You know, this was a big change. If I went back and watched Treasure Island, then I would recognize Bobby Driscoll, but um I unfortunately I've never seen all of Song of the South and I've never even heard of So Dear to My Heart. I'm not even, I guess I'm not a true Disney fan.
2: I've actually never been able to track down So Dear to My Heart. Surprisingly, Amazon. I've been able to do Song of the South, but
4: Well, this is a perfect time for an Amazon plug then. <laughs>
2: rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Free
1: trial. Yeah, Ooh. Chelsea, use it. <laughs> <All right.
2: laughs> I will.
1: Okay, so we get that first shot, and I love just the imagery in this film, because like we mentioned, Mary Blair, she worked on a, a handful of you know pre-visualization um, Disney films, and this was one of them. I have two Mary Blair books, actually, and you see a lot of her art from Peter Pan, and it's just you know, you never... If you don't know who Mary Blair is, definitely go check her out because her art is just stunning. It's simple, it's bright. Um, she just really is a master at art form. And Walt Disney mentions that, you know, he's always sort of disappointed because Mary Blair's, uh, you know, aesthetic was never able to fully translate on screen. And there, there are bits and pieces where you can see. Uh, mary blair's influence um but not always and i this could maybe be one of them it's just because he's shrouded in darkness so we just see you know the big moon that's really over exaggerated we see the house and then we just see him and then i love that next scene where tinkerbell comes up and you just see the smile uh very very interesting way to introduce him he comes in and then wendy uh eventually wakes up
4: yeah absolutely I love the um the air of like mystery and kind of uh it's it's kind of like a suspenseful, but in like a really childish giddy way, you know the little music score that plays when he's kind of sneaking in mm-hmm. and all that stuff so this was Milt call, who was the lead animator for Peter in this film, and uh, I remember one of his remarks was the challenge of animating weightlessness, you know of course as the audience, we just kind of take it in we're like, uh oh, well, on with the story, you know, but i I can imagine like the the challenge and like the frustration of of getting it just right animating something that's unbelievable but making it believable on screen and again that just is another testament to the sheer talent of you know, these, uh, these classic Disney animators.
0: That's one of the things I think that, that Milk Hall really was known for, recognized for, was just how particular he was about the refinement of the character sketches. You know, that's why he did so many of the animation on, you know, major characters, you know, Pinocchio, Bambi, Donald, Brer Rabbit, uh, Fairy Godmother, Alice, like, because he was sort of the, 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 the character guy in terms of, um, the, the, the particulars and the refinement and the th- really getting that final look just perfect.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, th- and then um, I'm guessing he animated the shadow, but like I don't get the shadow part. Was this part of the uh, the source material? Yes. The fact that his shadow just like goes off and does whatever the crap it wants.
1: Well, yeah, well it's detached and then you know the main thing in the play is that she's she recommends to sew it. And, and I think there's a part in the play where she says, Well, I've never I've never actually tried or maybe that's in this one. I've never actually tried to sew it, but I, I figure that's the best thing to do. But yeah, that that's kind of the, the introduction to Peter and Wendy always. Except for in the weird spin offs where that's not the case.
2: That's <laughs> and that's why they always have the thimble around. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as you, as you guys were
1: talking about different animators who had worked on this, and you know just history about the film, uh, it really makes me sad that we don't have one of JB Kaufman's books about this. Um, JB Kaufman, he's a, a Disney historian. He's done two different Snow White books, which were released with the Walt Disney Family Museum. Um, he did one recently on Pinocchio, which I'm going to review uh, in a little bit in the next few weeks. It's called Pinocchio Disney Epic. And what I love about these books is that they they're just you know, three to four hundred pages, and they are jam packed with history and information and making of and behind the scenes. It also gives you, uh, just a, depending on the film. Uh, the history of the, the source material. So for Snow White, we have just a whole chapter devoted to the different iterations of Snow White and um, and just different stories and that you hear during production. He's able to document. So I'm really happy that we just got this new Pinocchio book, but having watched this film, it makes me really sad that we don't have one for Peter Pan. I don't know what his next book is going to be, but I really, really hope it's this because I think there's just so much information that we could
2: learn, and uh, those books are just so great. You should email him. Say hey. I will. JB.
4: <laughs> hey, JP, this is Morgan from the Rotoscopas.
2: <laughs>
4: Yeah. So Wendy and Peter are kind of off to a ro- rocky start there at the beginning. I mean, I guess they like each other towards the end of the book, but it's like in this season, it's just like Wendy's talking and, P- and Peter's just like, oh, brother, I only came here to listen to t- bedtime stories about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that you realize that he is all about him. You know, he says, you know, that, that's why I like him. You know, I, the stories are just all about me. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and you realize that he's very self-centered. He's very immature, juvenile. Uh, mm-hmm. he has not grown up and, and that's good because he lives in the place that is the epitome of not growing up and he himself represents not growing up. But even the way that he treats Wendy is, uh, you know, nowadays and, and maybe at the, <laughs> that's obviously a great at the time.
4: Line, I'm not going to lie. Say it. What? Well, it sounds bad when I, you know, when he does the girls talk too much. He's like, yes, oh, yes the girls have- talk too. Oh. oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we do see, um, his, his behavior towards Wendy in these beginning scenes, how he, he does mistreat her, and and this is something that a lot of people like to bring up nowadays. That oh, he's this movie is sexist to to Wendy, you know, that she she's treated so poorly. And that's the thing; she is treated very poorly by Peter in this whole film because he just has no respect for anyone other than himself. You know, I think of scenes later on when he flies away and and she's sitting there, Peter, and he, he kind of helps her sometimes. The other time when he's rescuing Tiger Lily, he flies away with Tiger Will- Lily. And Pete and, and Wendy just has to, her throw, to get
4: drowned by the yeah, has
1: to flap, <laughs> flap away to to follow them. But uh, it sets up an interesting dynamic between the two.
0: I think she's treated bad throughout the whole film because you remember later on when they're doing the uh, the the Indians are dancing and she wants to go dance. She's <laughs> no. told will "Go You go get some firewood."
4: I love that little exchange. But yeah, she is she really <laughs> she really is gets it- some poor treatment despite how like mature and intelligent she really is.
1: Well, is this something to be concerned about? Because I, I recently, in the patron group, people were we were talking about this film, and and people had mentioned this. And you know, I think I always recognized and knew that she is mistreated, but I don't see it as like a bad thing. That you know, movies are that they they tell situations and stories, and sometimes people are very mistreated, and sometimes it's because they're a girl, or sometimes it's just because you're Wendy. But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that?
4: Well, Morgan, if you don't recognize her poor treatment, then you're clearly evil. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, yes, I did think, like, huh, I think Peter's being a little harsh on her. <laughs> but it didn't, like, ruin or make the experience for me. I wasn't, like, rooting him on. Yeah, leave her to get killed by the mermaids, you know? <laughs> but uh I don't know. I just would comment in my head and be like, well, make up your mind, Peter. First it's Wendy, then it's Tiger Lily, and then you're all of a sudden really concerned about Tink, you know? And I don't know. Peter's kind of a pimp, you know.
2: <laughs> Player. Wow. You
4: know, as far as 90s terms go. <laughs>
2: Except for I've he's not. He's
1: I have really never not... heard him called the pimp before. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our episode title.
4: Peter Pimp.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's like grammar school, right? Like, boys are always sort of mean to the girls that they really end up liking. You know, like you're sort of oh, picking yeah. on and being kind of mean to the girls that you like.
4: Yeah, yeah, but we see that in Peter Pan 2 Return to Neverland that, that like, Wendy did grow up and move on and she got married and had a kid, you know? And I was yeah. like, eh, what happened there?
2: I saw the whole exchange as just little kids. I mean, you don't look to two 10-year-olds, like, who, yeah, some of them are, know how to treat other people, but some of them just go around and do whatever. You can't judge this film too harshly because you can't judge kids too harshly. They just don't know yet.
5: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. yep and so they all start thinking wonderful thoughts any happy it little it
2: thoughts
4: like toys at like christmas sleigh bells snow boy john really likes christmas <laughs>
1: <laughs> who doesn't Okay.
4: well i mean I, well okay I, i'm not faulting him for it but it's like uh, you got any other happy memories but
1: <laughs> maybe the time
4: of the year is around christmas in the in the movie
1: it's just interesting that this song is very iconic. You know, it's been on so many different CDs and people sing it. And yet it has references to, you know, a specific time of year, Christmas. Um, you know, I'm surprised this isn't on ABC Family's, you know, 25 Days of Christmas special, just like the Harry Potter films, just because it mentions Christmas once. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Happy even Christmas though they mention Hall. all these Christmas references, when I hear this song and think about the song, I don't actively think like, oh, this is a Christmas song because it's not. But anyways, it's just... It, it
0: I, th- I think they think about Christmas because if you think about the dynamic between the kids and the parents, maybe that's one of the few times of the year that mom and dad are home and actually spending quality family time.
4: Could oh, be. brilliant.
0: Deep right there. Could I just dropped the mic and walked off stage.
1: No. <laughs> 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 the All the thunder too. <laughs> Congrats,
4: Lou. You've conjured the thunder tube. <laughs>
1: Uh, so uh, initially, this is an interesting part because they, you know, they're t- he's telling them how to fly, and in the original play or in one of the initial, uh, you know, iterations of the story by James and Barry. The, he didn't really mention fairy dust as being a key element. Fairy dust was sort of added to different versions uh, of the play and whatnot. And the reason was is because so many people would go and see the play, and basically what, the re- what they could do to fly is they just had to think happy thoughts uh, initially. There wasn't the fairy dust involved. And so all these kids and families would see the play, and then they'd go home, and they'd hop on their beds, mm-hmm. and they'd try to jump off and fly. <laughs> uh, he got so many letters about this that ultimately he changed it and added, like, oh, yeah, and you also need
2: fairy dust. So the thing is about the fairy dust is I specifically remember playing with glitter as a kid, pretending it was the dust. And I would like to publicly take this moment to say <laughs> I am sorry to my mother. Because, as we all know, Aww. glitter does not come out of anything. And I just remember finding glitter in, like, so many places for so long. <laughs>
0: That's a cool you idea. need to buy your mom a new Dustbuster. Right. <laughs> I actually think this is one of the most beautiful songs. And you were asking me before about music, you know, in animated films versus not. I think music makes the movie. I think this is one of those films that is a classic because of the music. But it's interesting how Second Star to the Right originally wasn't written for Peter Pan, but for Alice in Wonderland. The melody was written for a song called Beyond the Laughing Sky. So it was almost actually used for a different film altogether.
2: Huh, I love recycling cool things.
0: What, <laughs> oh,
4: Disney recycle? <laughs> but yeah, Never. that's pretty interesting. That's not yeah.
2: a hot topic right now.
4: <laughs> you know, as soon as they get to Neverland, we're introduced to one of the most iconic villains of Disney lore ever: is your crook, Captain Hook. Judge, won't you throw the book? the pirate. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about?
1: Yes. No. Arrested Development. Arrested oh, yes. Development, yes. Where it's like, yes.
4: what kind of law did you study?
1: <laughs> Arrested, Arrested, Arrested
2: law.
4: because he was in a play. <laughs> okay, maybe Morgan and I just love Arrested oh, Development. it's been <laughs>
2: but, way too long for me.
4: Oh, you gotta watch, like, click on the link when, you know, when you can watch it. <laughs> it's yeah, one of my favorite things whenever I see or hear Captain Hook. I, that always plays in the back of my head. <laughs> A stage adaptation of a high school play called *The Tri- Captain Hook on Trial. It's horrible, anyway. So yeah, Captain Hook is awesome. He is awesome. He's a pirate. You know, he was the awesome Disney pirate before we had Jack Sparrow. And I think it should change back to Captain Hook being the dominant Disney pirate. Um, but yeah, Frank Thomas in charge of Captain Hook. And he remarked that the uh, you know the story art- artists and the directors of the film had conflicting views on how to uh, on how they wanted Captain Hook to be portrayed. So on one hand, the story artists you know they drew Hook as this kind of uh, the way I put it is luxurious like smooth criminal who is very decadent in the luxuries that surround him, and then the uh, directors wanted to see him more as a, they saw him more of, as a, more of a sinister and violent adversary to Peter Pan. And so you kind of see, uh, I would say, a perfect blend of both. Like, Captain Hook can be scary with how violent he is. <laughs> I mean, who mails a bomb? And, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, he's super fancy. I mean, for the rarest of, for the most fancy of occasions, he will break out his gold-plated hook, you know, and then he'll woo the ladies with his amazing harpish chord skills.
2: Those are, those are mad skills, man. No. I love
4: looking at his uh, his little box of specialty hooks. You know, <laughs>
2: one's a knife. <laughs> like,
4: again, Arrested Development reference, but
2: I'm a monster.
4: <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> and then we're um, we're launched into an another awesome classic Disney song, "The Life of a Pirate for Me." Oh.
1: <laughs> See, I always thought I was a cool person in high school. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> i was like leading off to this, but I always thought I was a cool person in high school because I had an MP3 of this song, which was uh, Dude, bro, a, a rare song. Player? You only had to be a cool Disney person who had all the Disney songs. This was one of them. This was not your typical second start of the right. It's true. So, Having said that, I probably wasn't cool at all for saying, oh, I I, had 500 Disney songs on my iPod. (laughs) Not Usher.
0: (laughs) Don't
4: worry, Morgan. Plenty of people think you're cool.
2: (laughs) My mom says I'm cool.
4: Doesn't count.
0: (laughs) What I like about this uh, song, and again, I'm sort of a nerd when it comes to the the voiceover actors, is uh, not just the the Pirates, but the, the chorus of Pirates and later on the chorus of Indians is actually performed by the Mellow Men. And if that name isn't ringing a bell, it's names like Thor Ravenscraft and Max Smith and Billy. Those are the same guys yeah. that do the chorus for Haunted Mansion. So nice. maybe there's yeah.
4: The creak and the Toothless Quake. Oh, I can't wait till Halloween. <laughs> That's cool. I don't know what it is about Disney movies, but somewhere in some song, there's always this one one random character who goes on uh, off on a solo or something and annoys everyone. And I love Captain Hook because he knows exactly how to deal with dissension and weak links on his ship. <laughs> he doesn't even look at him or aim at him. He knows exactly where <laughs> he is.
0: <laughs> Whoop bam!
4: And then the the accordion the accordion noise goes down with him falling.
0: <laughs> I I love Captain Hook for a lot of reasons, and when you were talking about how he takes out his gold hook for special occasions and things like that, the same way that Mr. Darling takes out his good cufflinks when he's going out, the same way that they're both modeled after the same uh, performer, which is Hans Conried. it's sort of a tradition in the film and, and in the story that Captain Hook and Mr. Darling, and I think it's, and one of the reasons why he's such a villain is I think that... Captain Hook really is the personification in the child's minds of their father, and an argument could be made that maybe when Wendy wakes up at the end, she was just dreaming about Captain Hook, and Captain Hook really was, you know, her her impressions of who her dad really is.
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. And to go even deeper, Mr. Darling remarks that he remembers seeing that ship long ago when he was very young. Mm -hmm. So what if he went to Neverland as a kid, but he was like bad and authoritative and he was like a proto-Captain Hook when he went off to Neverland, if he did? I'm just saying. (laughs) I think there's a Disney theory there.
0: There's a lot of interesting theories about Neverland. Look, there's theories, and we can go off on a way dark tangent that you know Peter right. Pan is sort of an angel that really is taking these children to heaven. And yeah, there's lots of odd oh, theories a carbon
4: about- monoxide leak. <laughs> <laughs> that puts the whole movie in a different perspective. Thanks, Nana. <laughs> weren't you supposed to keep an eye on that? I told you it was a bad idea to have a dog in charge of
0: kids. <laughs> Peter Pan is the angel of death. There you go. So that'll that'll change how you think about it.
4: Love it. It has, and it's awesome. So the problem with Captain Hook is that he doesn't know where to find Peter Pan, and he lost his hand to Peter Pan and um also there's this giant saltwater crocodile who's perpetually circling his ship and wants the rest of him so he's a man with a lot of problems so you know what can you really blame him for wanting to shut that accordion guy up <laughs> <laughs> with the old lead injection as we say in texas and um <laughs> hey do you guys remember never smile at a crocodile? Yeah. Yes. Sure. dun 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 I remember that from my um <laughs> From my, I had a VHS of Singalogs, that one always came up. And I was always confused because, like, Mom, I don't remember that song being in the movie.
2: I actually purchased the the CD or the album soundtrack for Peter Pan on Amazon, and it has that full version on there as well.
4: I love it. I love the lyrics on it. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember, remember them right now, but they're kind of like... There's a lot of staccato going on, and it's just very, like, perfect rhythm and well-coordinated lyrics.
2: One thing I really like about The Crocodile, though, is, like, when I was watching Finding Neverland, um, there was one quote in there that totally, like I mentioned, changed my whole idea about, about this. One woman after the play, they're kind of standing around talking, and she says, "'I suppose it's like the ticking crocodile, isn't it? Time is chasing after all of us. Isn't that right?' And when she said that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Sheep. Yeah, because, I mean, you think, okay, so, you know, Mr. Darling is Captain Hook. And the only reason he's upset is because time is ticking after him. Yes, you have to learn to grow up, but with the coming of growing up, you realize death is coming sooner. And so he's always worried about this Crocodile coming after him, who already has a piece of him, you know, a piece of his childhood, per se, you know, something is already missing from him and it's coming after him. And I just, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh,
0: yes. That's pretty good. Right? I thought so. I mean, you can really, if you really wanted to deconstruct this movie and these characters and really try and figure out, I mean, there's a lot of potential symbolism into, you know, what these all represent. I mean, we were, you were talking before about why Peter was so mean. I mean, I think Peter, you know, to sort of take it a, a couple steps further, Peter is sort of the embodiment of every little kid, right? He's, he's that, you know, character that is, uh, I don't know how to explain it. He's such an honest depiction of what a, a, a kid really is, right? He's selfish. He only cares about himself. He's unable to take care of himself, but yet he still has this, like, childlike love of other things and other people without sort of thinking about consequences and and whatnot i know i'm getting a little bit too deep i just need another cup of coffee i i I didn't i didn't date very much in high school obviously
4: (laughs) oh
1: no and that's what i think makes this film so great and this the story why it's transcended you know generations is because you know on one level little children like it because oh it's pirates it's you know pirates and indians it's you know a kid can fly all this stuff but you know, on a deeper level, it has these different meanings and and themes that we can relate to and we can apply to our own lives and help us reconsider how we're living our lives. And it's a great allegory for life.
4: Don't be a Mr. Darling. So <laughs> you value we, gold cufflinks.
1: So one character we have not talked about is well, we've we've briefly mentioned her, but I think she deserves her own discussion, which is Ooh. Tinker Bell.
4: Two words, folks. Two words.
1: That's how you can separate the noobs from the true Disney superfans.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> Tinkerbell is in my opinion the original Disney diva.
2: Yeah, I'll go with that.
4: She's got an amazing attitude and uh and yes, let's please launch into an epic Tinkerbell discussion here.
2: She knows who she is and I like that. And she's just not afraid to do anything granted, you know they you know they have the the lore that a pixie is so small they can only fit one feeling at a time. And so when she was bad, she was very bad. <laughs> um but that's one thing I like I respect about Tinkerbell. She can really hold her own against Captain Hook. She can hold her own. Like, no no no, you told me, you said you know, when most people would be like, Hey, uh, do whatever you want.
4: Yeah, she's uh, she's got some strength to her, definitely. You know, Mark Davis was the lead animator for her and what a terrific choice because Mark Davis can really pull off appealing female characters. And, you know, of course, he achieved that here with Tinkerbell. And his challenge was that she doesn't have any speaking lines, so she had to be pure pantomime. And um, that can be a challenge, uh, you know, for animators and to not have the dialogue to to drive home what, what a person is feeling or, or doing. And uh, contrary to popular popular belief, folks, she was not modeled after Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe was was barely a starlet back then, and she, you know, wouldn't have been famous enough for that to have, you know, been a thing. But yeah, I I don't even, I never even considered. But apparently, it's like a false Disney legend. She was modeled after Marilyn Monroe.
0: Yeah, have you guys ever have you guys ever met or interviewed Margaret Carey? no you Uh, need to have oh my gosh you need to have her she is like the coolest little old lady in the whole (laughs) one she's made a second career out of going i was the model for tinkerbell but uh, i've gotten to know her over the years and she's got fascinating stories and you can see when you talk to her and she starts to do some of the poses like when tinkerbell was on the mirror she's doing it now at like she's like 112 years old with and she looks awesome but when you do it you're like i see it like I see, because she knew like you said because she had no lines that she had to emote that she had to convey that she was a sassy jealous jerk that's petty with body image issues like just by the way she <laughs> she moved oh i and love it when um 50 years later you can still see it in her
4: yeah absolutely i it really reads in in the pantomime when she's like on the mirror checking herself out, you know, checking the shape, and then she like gets to her hips and she like brings her hands up, and you can see like the oh man, and <laughs> you know, it, it and she like well, she doesn't even have to say it, and that's what I love about um, the Disney animators, and you know, now that you now that you've explained it, like the talent of Margaret Carey, and you know, the challenge, the mu- mutual challenge between live action model and animator to really pull this off and doing my research on margaret Carey, i found this juicy tidbit that changed my perspective of tinkerbell she said quote tinkerbell was never in love with peter pan she was sort of a groupie and peter would go on his adventures and she would get to go with him and what she was really worried about with wendy was that maybe he wouldn't take her on the adventures anymore he would take that ugly old girl (laughs) but that's what she was jealous of (laughs) When I first read that, I was like, "Well, I don't know if I believe that." But since it was Margaret Kelly herself who said that, then I guess I have to.
0: <laughs> so here's a trivia question for you: Margaret Carey had another role in Peter Pan. What was it?
1: Ooh. Tiger Lily.
0: Nope. She was a mermaid. She was She was the redheaded oh. mermaid.
1: Holy cow! We were only trying to drown her.
4: That's an excellent <laughs> line.
1: That's a great line.
4: I love it.
1: Interesting. Well so,
4: years of studying sociology in that in that one sentence.
1: If you're yeah. interested in Tinkerbell, there was a book that was released in twenty thirteen. It was called Tinkerbell and Evolution. And it's basically one of these just intense books that have it has nearly two hundred pages and it just talks about Tinkerbell over the years, not only in the Disney version, but um, also in the original play, how, you know, or, you know, initially she was called Tippy Toe uh, and had speaking lines. And they changed it. And so this, if you're that. interested in the character of Tinkerbell and how she's evolved over the years to this Disney legend and this iconic figure, then definitely check out that book. I'll include a link in the show notes if you want to check it out because it's quite good.
4: Well, yeah. It, think, it, it, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I,
0: was, I think Margaret Carey, I, I'm not sure if it came out yet, but I know for years she was working on a book called – uh, I think Tinkerbell talks. I'm not I'm not sure if it's out yet or not. Yeah, I t- just found her website. Yeah, it's it, it's still coming soon. So.
1: be on the lookout then.
4: <laughs> and Tinkerbell's great because, you know, in this film they developed her to be a fully realized character, even uh, in a physical sense because in a lot of the stage adaptations they just had her as like a flashlight in the background and she starts out like that and you can see that whoa, she's like a real, she's like a, a real fairy. They do exist.
1: So why do you think Tinkerbell's so popular? Because you see her in the D- Disney parks. It's, it's she's like,
2: everywhere.
1: It's her and Grumpy. They're the the muses for adults. So, you know, you got the grumpy old guy who doesn't want to be there, who just wants to show everyone he doesn't want to be there, and he's wearing the grumpy hat. And then <laughs> you have all the girls wearing Tinkerbell, who, you know, if you watch this film, you realize she's actually like a brat. And I think it's because, what, does she represent everyone's inner diva? Or has
0: she grown past that? What do you guys think? She's Especially Lou. Really,
4: she's just a really interesting female character, but yeah.
0: I think especially for adults, you know, adults maybe can't, you know, you can you can no longer relate to or embody, you know, a 16-year-old Disney princess. But there's something spunky and sassy and brash about the Tinkerbell carry that she's still kind of cute. And she's still, you know, sort of the, the icon of all things Disney, which I think she sort of unofficially is. But there is that little bit of adult sassiness, and I think that's why so many, especially girls who are not, you know, young girls or teenagers really kind of relate to that character. I mean, look look at the number, if you could count the number of Disney tattoos, I think it would predominantly be
4: <laughs> What, not Stitch? Yeah. Um, only the gangbangers put Stitch on their bodies, but anyway.
1: <laughs> Let's talk okay. about the Lost Boys.
4: <laughs> I love it. A community, of boys, in complete anarchy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All who dress in animal outfits. Oh, the skunky one is so cute. <laughs>
0: uh, I was gonna say, I was first going to say it was like Lord of the Flies, but then when you said they're all in the outfits, I'm like, oh, it's like a little furry convention.
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh, now you just ruined it. And,
0: uh, we have totally just butchered any sort of childlike innocence <laughs> that the movie had uh, with all these references. Uh, and I I don't know if you guys were ever furries. lost. <laughs> <laughs> were you guys, did you guys ever watch Lost? I did. So yeah. I was a monster lost fan. And do you remember the scene as the others are walking through the jungle and they're dragging the teddy bear behind them? That yes. was direct it's directly from that scene. Really? Yep. That was a nod to Peter Pan. And I gotta go work. back. We have to go we back. We go back, Kate.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and I love how um I love how Tinkerbell just convinces them to to shoot at Wendy. Wendy Bird. I mean, they're super loyal loyal to Peter, but did anyone stop to think that, like, hey, that's like a human being we're shooting rocks at? Anyway.
2: It's a Wendy Bird. You're supposed to shoot kids. it down. Kids. <laughs> They've never seen yeah. a girl
1: before, at least... One wearing a nightgown.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, following following the leader is a pretty good song. I also like how John manages to get everyone kidnapped because he insists on marching through the forest like you're the British army in the 1800s. <laughs> Don't they know this is guerrilla warfare? It's the jungle man.
1: It's just funny because he's you know has everything down. He's telling them his plans. You got to do this, then we'll we'll attack him by surprise. And then you know what he is saying, they are actually happening to them.
4: Yeah, don't bring a Brit to Indian territory. Yeah. <laughs> also, aren't there like hippos that try to eat Michael or something, and it's just like, oh,
2: <laughs> and then the the bear. The bear was actually my favorite one, and it kind of re- I feel like there was several, like in Pocahontas when they're like walking by and there's a bear and his cub. I kind of felt like that was a nod to Peter Pan too. Or at least I want it to be. <laughs> yeah, the, the
4: chubby one gets to walk the footsteps of a stranger <laughs> Learn things he never knew
2: He never knew
4: yep.
1: So you and know what before- I like about this movie is there's actually quite a bit going on. There's all these new characters we're being introduced to, but I never seem to get bored. You oh, know, yeah. now we're introduced to the Indians and their motive. Uh, well, which we had been introduced to before as as Captain Hook announces that he's going to kidnap Tiger Lily so she can tell him the whereabouts. And it all ties together, and it could be very confusing. But, you know, it's just so expertly done that I never get bored. I'm always interested in what's happening next. And so they get kidnapped, and the Lost Boys are at, at loss for words because they're sitting here thinking, like, well, no, no, you always let us go, and sometimes we let you go. And and then he realized, okay, this is, they mean business. If Tiger Lily not back by Sunset, burn a mat steak.
4: Dun dun dun! <laughs> I could never match the voice of that of that Indian chief.
1: Oh, it's just too epic for anyone.
4: Oh,
2: <laughs> it is pretty epic.
1: But my thing c- is, how many okay. cigarettes
4: do you have to smoke to achieve that level? <laughs>
1: They have basically, what, eight, six to eight hours until she needs to be returned. But if they kidnap all of the lost boys, who's going to return Tiger Lily?
4: Ooh, a deadline. This is like an episode of 24.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a
4: federal agent! Totally yeah, who is going to. The, they're completely inept. They can't even survive in the jungle, so how are they going to get Tiger Lily? Oh, by the way, Captain Hook, we don't even know if Tiger Lily speaks English. <laughs> <laughs> what good is this going to do? <laughs>
1: So we hop over to the Mermaid Lagoon. I always loved this scene. This growing scene What girl doesn't love mermaids? Just like what boy doesn't love pirates. But I thought these mermaids were so cool. And you know, a lot of the girls in this, uh, you know, that we meet, whether they're mermaids or Tinkerbell, they're, we're quite sassy and quite mean. And everyone seems to have a vendetta or an issue with this Wendy. This is the story
4: of how everyone wants to kill Wendy. <laughs> yeah.
1: We they should rename this movie Get Wendy. Her.
4: We were only trying to drown her. That's an amazing, that's a phenomenal line.
2: <laughs> and that, you know, it just, it passes, yeah. Well, oh, see, Wendy, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Aren't I'll they just, great just... gals?
2: <laughs> okay, so this
1: sets us up because they realize, like, what the heck is Captain Hook doing? You know, he's just in the middle of the ocean with a little rowboat, and they have Tiger Lily. So they fly over there, and this is a great scene. Mr.
4: Schmee. Mm-hmm. Put go back in like he said, sir. I said nothing of the sort. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. Tell the crew to help themselves to me best rum. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love how just, uh, Peter is just going on and on and on with imitating his voice, and he's like really satisfied with himself, and he's <laughs> like, oh, this is awesome. I'm giving a tremendous performance. <laughs> <laughs> and I love I love just how ridiculous this fight is because at some point because Peter Pan is literally dancing circles around <laughs> around Hook and then he decides to add another element of chaos. He hands Smee the pistol. Try your luck, Mr. Smee, you know. <laughs> Peter Pan's literally the guy who's like introduce a little anarchy, <laughs> you know. Oh my and gosh. Uh, there's a theory Peter Pan is the Joker. He is <laughs> he represents an element of chaos. <laughs> And um, Mr. Smee's like, okay, I'll try, but let me just shoot this hand cannon with my eyes closed because I'm so incompetent and not confident that I will ma- get my mark. Hold it, you fool! Anyway, I was always raised to respect firearms, and I, I would watch it and be like, mm, he's not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep your eyes open. <laughs>
1: So then we enter probably one of the most controversial, if not the most controversial section of the film, which is returning of Tiger Lily and the what made the Red Men Red" song.
2: You know, Peter Pan has often been criticized for this song. So for obvious reasons, the song was and is kind of extremely, um, non PC. Yeah. It's just very non PC. (laughs) We'll go with that. Um, and these stereotypes are presented in Jane Barry's play, and Mark Davis he gives an interview on the Platinum Edition DVD, and he was talking about how I'm not sure we would have done the Indians if we were making this movie now, and if we would have, we would have done it very differently. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure you would have.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. So, what
1: what could they have done differently? I noticed that particularly the skin, you know, I know it's exaggerated and it goes along with the song, but it seems like most of the men have very 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 red skin. While if some of the girls it just it's more of just like a natural brown, which is probably more realistic. Unless they're oh, you know, they
4: they could take out the whole verse about how uh, kissing a maiden starting to blush and we've all been blushing since, you know. You they just have
2: to rewrite that starts. whole song. It, like, the whole song has to go. The whole you know, song uh, has to go.
4: Okay, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What's so bad about it? Because all the Lost Boys want to be Native Americans by the end of the song. It's true. It's got to be worth something. Yeah, that's definitely you know, devil's advocate. You
0: you can really dissect this scene. You know, the, the easy solution is just take the whole scene out, right? Because you've got a lot of non, if you want to go to the PC, right? We got a lot of non-PC stuff there. Let's start off with, hey, Peter Pan, thanks for bringing back my daughter. Listen, why don't you smoke some peyote? Come on, kids. Let's all light up. <laughs> um, <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> we talked about Wendy, you know, you're, you're a woman. You can't dance. Just get back in the kitchen and get me some firewood. And later on, they talk about, well, listen, kids, you know, you don't want to grow up to be like those bunch of, sh- bunch of savages, obviously referring to, uh, the Native Americans, but, Look, you have to sort of take it at at the time it was created right and and that's one of the things and and I think you can have a whole separate conversation about Disney movies that at the time it, nobody gave it a second thought, but now, if you look back at the crows from Dumbo or Sunflower from Fantasia or the Tar baby maybe from Song of the South um Aww, you know yeah y- y- you know cyan am that, right? i. But there's a lot, right? And there's a lot that now you look back and say, God, how do they even think about doing that? Look, they even fixed Aladdin, right? Remember Aladdin, the merchant? Yes. The original song said that when they're going to cut off your ear, if they don't like your face, maybe a little offensive. So now it's, um, it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. Yep. So at the time that it's creative, maybe they weren't as aware or sensitive to some of the, some of the issues. Um, I mean, look, Blazing Saddles could never get made today, right? Like, certain movies just would never get made. But at the time, it was just a a different time, so... I completely uh,
1: agree. I do think that, um, maybe not in this case, but for other situations, people are just too sensitive. So, And I'm not saying in this instance. I'm just saying overall, I think most people are offended by a lot of things nowadays. So you can't get away with even joking around unless you're, like, a a legal comedian, and I guess it's okay. Um, But back then, I mean... I don't really think this was meant to be mean and to have malintent. It was just meant to, you know, tell a story and, you know, When me, when I look at this and, you know, no, is it okay now? No. But were they trying to be vile? Were they trying to be mean? Were they, you know, what what was the original intent? Um, You know, should we censor it? I don't think so. I don't think we should censor things of the past because how you ever learn from them? Um, But, you know, to totally criticize somebody who, you know, was completely ignorant of the matter or.
0: Well, I mean, look, you know, you can use a a movie like Song of the South, right, which is never going to be re-released. Like, just give it up. You're going to have to watch it on YouTube. And it's a shame because it's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. It takes place after the Civil War, after slavery is uh, slavery's over. James Baskett, I think, gives an amazing performance, right? Which I don't think is controversial. I think he's the most redeeming character of the film. Look, the NAACP even recognized the artistry of the film at one point, but because of the potential backlash, because of a potential, um, you know, immediate knee jerk reaction, they'll never be able to release that movie again, which is a shame because it is a great story. He's a redeeming character, and there's beautiful animation and music in it. It's hard. I mean, look, you could even look at a film like Dumbo, right, with mm-hmm. the crows. I mean, the right. crows, on one hand, are incredibly, like, you know, sympathetic and compassionate and understanding of Dumbo, but they also sing about, you know, working with no reward. I mean, they, they, it can easily be debated both sides, you know, right, whether the... Are they positive characters or negative interpretations of it?
2: People just need to get along and then just think highly of each other, and then all of these problems will go away.
0: Just give everybody peyote. See, the chief had the right <laughs> idea. Everybody <laughs> just smoke a peace pipe and you all feel better. There we go. <laughs> We're all done. I was
1: back around. Pure organic
4: fuel, man. <laughs> <laughs> that freak juice.
0: <laughs> well done.
4: Anyway, at some point in the, later on in the film, uh, you know, that crook Captain Hook, he um, <laughs> captures... Freaking Tinkerbell. And I love this scene so much because he's really trying to show how civilized he is and that we can deal, right? You know, I'm a pirate. You're a fairy. We can make a deal, you know, taking a, a tip from Hades, you know, being the smooth talker, really oh. trying to reach a deal with uh, with Tinkerbell here. And he, he really he uses, convinces re- her. uses reverse psychology on her. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love it. You know, le- hunt, uh, uh, what is it, lumping a bunch of guilt on Peter, you know, making him really seem like he's the bad guy. Think of it's me giving her the best years of her life and just casting her aside like an old glove. <laughs> and I love it because you get to, in that one, in the same line, you get to see his feigned sympathy, but also he can't help but be nasty. <laughs> And really drive home how how abandoned she feels, and then you know I mustn't harm Peter.
2: <laughs> I mustn't lay a finger or a hook on or a Peter. hook on
4: Peter <laughs> Pan. <laughs>
2: I love when she's actually uh, drawing out the path on the map. Yes. <laughs> that's like one of my favorites.
4: Oh, he's repeating literally what she's doing.
2: Yes, a hop, skip, and <laughs> a jump across. I across just her movements in that section.
4: Oh yeah, with the uh, the ink and stuff. Mm-hmm. Clever.
1: Just the way her legs move, do, 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 and then she hops, and the animation's great.
4: You know the song about you know being a mother, and you know what's a mother? That is usually where I you know start yawning, lose attention. This is where mm-hmm. I usually go up to use a restroom slash refill on snacks. <laughs> but I do like some of the Lost Boys lines where she's like, "I had a white rat. That's no mother," and they instantly <laughs> start beating mother. each other up. <laughs> I just love how um, how precarious their society is between you know order and absolute chaos, hanging <laughs> on a thread.
0: So well, do you not like the the song because you just don't like the the words? You don't like? Do you think it's it? They don't need it there? Do you not like the meaning?
4: I like it less because as a boy it bored me. Kind of like love goes on on the on Robin Hood.
0: Yeah,
4: that was usually I was like, oh brother, I'm out of here.
1: But what about now? It was fine this that time. that lingering effect?
4: Well, watching it this time, I did have this thought in my head of a feeling of empathy of, like, like, hey, these lost boys really don't know what a mother is, so this is, like, a really big deal for them. And I was wondering, like, how do they feel? Like, do they feel, like, really sad that they don't have a mom? I mean, obviously, because they, they all want to sign up to be adopted by the darlings after this, you know? And um, so, yeah, there is kind of this, like, element of empathy for the Lost Boys because, like, they, they're they r- really ignorant about this. And how would their lives be different or lives change if they had a mother's influence? And so...
1: Yeah, the Lost Boys are very easily swayed. When Tinkerbell comes in at the beginning and tells them to shoot him down, they don't even really consider it. They just do. Here, mm-hmm. you know, she sings a song about being a mother... And they definitely need it, but then they instantly want to be adopted. And then later, you know, Captain Hook sings a fancy song about being adopted. And then next thing you know, they want to be pirates.
4: (laughs) Screw Uh, that. Let's be mercenaries. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They, uh... They definitely need some parental figures in their lives to help them see the straight and narrow. Uh, but I didn't mention this earlier, but this is the last scene we see Peter wearing his big cheap hat, and there needs to be some cosplay of someone doing Peter Pan wearing that big, awesome Indian headdress, or at least oh, they need yeah. to bring it back in the parks because it's his best look. Well, it's,
4: <laughs> it's his best look. Well, it's symbolic <laughs> because after what happens next, he's he's been humbled, you know? Pan is not... Big Chief Flying Eagle anymore, you know? I think he gets a, uh, a, what do you call it, a rude awakening.
2: I felt like the bomb part slowed the movie down. So now they've come back to the ship. They're doing their little dancing around the song. I I mean, I will say that is probably one of my favorite songs. Sign up with Captain Hook. And, like, you know, the whole part with the bomb, I felt like that part just was always one of those slow parts for me that I was like, okay, quicken up. Yeah, let's get on. But then the one of the best parts of the whole film, no splash, Captain. <laughs> yeah. You
4: want a splash, Mr.
2: Starkey. <laughs> I mean, really, it's one of the best ones, because you can just see Wendy and Peter just like, hee, hee, <laughs> It's all a game. The whole thing is just a game, and you really appreciate it for that.
1: Yeah, Peter doesn't ever realize how much peril he actually is in. It's just fun and games for him. Um, He actually sort of likes it and relishes in it. And, you know, especially with this moment where they're giggling along and then it goes to this big, epic battle between him and the codfish himself, Captain Hook.
4: I love the codfish. I'm a
5: codfish! (laughs) Like
4: what, you know, talking about, like, childhood innocence and, like, how these children see the world around them, like, it's very fitting to have their opponent humiliated in, in in that way, just have him admit he's a guppy or a codfish.
1: That's how you know like where their uh, emotional levels are at and how grown up they really are. Like I
4: know, as adults, that's we're like well,
1: to the seven year old in us. Not <laughs> you know, the as adults,
4: months. we're like, gosh, kill him. I like how Captain Hook meets his end in Hook the movie. That's like the best thing ever.
2: That is a good inning. But that's not this ending. No, it's not. This one is fun, though. The the clock comes out. They start skipping rocks, basically, down the... I, I just love that part. It's like so great, because you've got Hook inside the mouth of the crocodile as the boat is going up and down, and they're both like going over each other. It was I love it. And then they ride home in the
1: amazing golden ship, and... Aww. Mr. Darling and Mrs. Darling come back and this is when we start to see, oh, maybe I've seen that before.
4: Yeah, yeah. I like that element of of mystery there. Also, we've skipped over the fact that Smee has amazing arm strength to row at the same speed that the <laughs> crocodile is chasing Captain Hook.
2: And we're bringing it back down.
4: <laughs> Do you think his triceps are like just as good as Hercules's? <laughs>
2: I think is if his calves are anywhere close, you know, you were. On oh,
4: on, I'm not talking about calves, your <laughs> triceps.
1: You know, I like at the very end how, um, you know, father has cooled down. He's like, oh, you can actually you don't have to leave the nursery. But she's through all this. Wendy has grown up, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of this experience she needed to help her you know, she went to the most magical place of all Neverland, which would be any kid's dream. And I think through it, she realized that, you know, she needs to one day be a mother. She needs to grow up. She needs, there are people in her life who need her, you know, to be somewhat responsible. Um, and I, and it's just interesting. You see how with her parents, you know, they went through this too. We all go through it. It's kind of that moment where, whether it's, something you consciously have to do or something you just get thrown into and you're forced to grow up it happens Mm -hmm.
0: i remember seeing it multiple times and even still sometimes when i look at it and i see that final scene and i see wendy wake up i say you know was the whole thing just a dream did she really just did they really fall asleep in the nursery she dreamt the whole thing and her parents have had this dream too and you know it's sort of this um you know, they they wake up a little bit different and a little bit wiser than they did when they fell asleep. And that's why the ship that you see going over the moon isn't really a ship. It's just clouds that sort of mm-hmm. look like a pirate mm-hmm. ship. Yep.
4: Well, a strange mass case of lucid dreaming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's the Once peyote, again, I'm telling
4: you. <laughs> carbon monoxide.
2: <laughs> uh, all right, so what do we rate this?
4: Oh, I forgot we had to rate it. All right, let's hear lose first.
0: The new guy. You know, this is my, I'm biased, right? It's my favorite movie, Peter Pan. I can pull out my old lawyer chops and argue as to why I think he's the best Disney character ever. Objection. Um, Oh, He is. All right. So now I have to argue it. Why is Peter Pan the best character ever, right? (laughs) He never has to grow up. He lives on this beautiful, like, Tropical island. He gets to play with his friends all day. He fights pirates and wins. All the chicks dig him. They're fighting over him. Mermaids, Wendy, Tiger Lily. Oh, by the way, he can fly to defense rests. <laughs> oh,
4: and, and one more reason um, the tights. He can, the oh, the tights. tights. And, well, and he, can, um, he can transport between two worlds to alternate dimensions. Although, why would, he, why would he want to leave Neverland, you know? To pick up more chicks?
1: <laughs> oh,
4: dear. The prosecution rests with a defense.
1: <laughs> All right, well, I'm just going to go off, and I'm going to give this movie five stars. Woo-wee. I think this is a Disney classic, and no, it's not an original story, but what Disney films from this era are... Um, I just, I think the characters are so great. The animation is wonderful, whether they're speaking or not speaking. They just emote so um, evocatively that we're able to figure out what they're saying and their little nuances. And the story, for me, it's, it always is moving forward and it's leading to this conclusion. There is a slow spot during the mother sequence, I, I feel. Um, and I think that's purposeful. I think they wanted to slow it down a little bit. But overall, I love the characters. I love the film. Yes, you know, today there are some things that aren't so PC, but, you know, for a product of its time and for just the amazing story that it's able to tell, I have to give it five stars because it's a classic and there's no question why it's still so popular today.
2: I'm also going to give it five stars the fact that it, this can be read on so many different levels and can be looked at on so different many different levels over the space of my entire childhood and adult life, um, I've just really come to appreciate all these, every little nuance with it. And the art, it just really pulls you in, and you are lost in this world. You are in Neverland, and it's something that you just want to stay in. So that's why I give it five stars. Mm-hmm
4: give uh, Peter Pan five stars as well. You know, what did greatest was their ability to transport you to a different world. And they did it so perfectly in this film that you can help give it the highest rating.
0: Awesome. I'm going to turn Peter Pan up to 11. <laughs> uh, I know you're going on the five-star scale. Uh, you know what? I-, I think it is the, the quintessential Disney movie. I love the characters. I love the music. I think we can all relate to Peter Pan. Look, I am a 47-year-old guy that is trapped in a seven-year-old body and has the Peter Pan syndrome that I never want to go up. And I think that's what Disney films and the Disney parks and Disney as a whole and a brand allows you to do. It allows you to have that feeling like You can be a kid again, and it's okay to go and have fun and and dream about going on these kind of adventures. So I I give it an 11 out of five stars.
1: I love it. Love it. Following the leader, the
5: leader, the leader. We're following the leader, wherever he may go.
3: Hey guys, it's Mason again. Aside from the characters having good, strong personalities and Peter Pan having the action and adventure, it's an overall good film. And I just, I'm just kind of amazed at how the world has taken Tinkerbell as its own. I'm not sure if James Barry was able to see the reaction that. The play received or even when the 1924 silent film version was released Um, but uh, i'm hoping that he was able to see uh the effects that his story was having anyways that's all i was going to say about the film so hopefully you guys enjoyed seeing it with fresh
5: eyes and everything and good luck with the next podcast have a good day bye Hey guys, this is Blake Taylor, and I am super, super pumped about this episode because it includes the two websites that I have the privilege of writing for, Rotoscopers and WW Radio, all in one podcast episode. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what y'all have to say about Peter Pan, especially since it is one of my favorite animated films. Uh, Something that I love about especially Peter Pan and Tinkerbell is they are among this rare group of animated characters that exist beyond the confines of their individual film. I feel like for example, Mickey mouse is in the same category, you know, he's this symbol of hope of optimism, almost like this patriarch to the whole Disney family. But you don't ever really see those qualities of Mickey's personality within his short films or within his movies. That's something that's kind of just been attached to him as he's withstood among generations. I feel like Peter Pan tinkerbell are the same way they are representations of imagination of youth of the idea of never growing up uh you see that kind of hinted at in their films obviously but the true impact of how that's influenced audiences you don't really see until you step back and look at the bigger picture of um really how they're infused in other synergy type things um as well as really what people, what they mean to people um, in the bigger picture within the film itself. Brilliant. I love the foil that Peter Pan and Captain Hook going on, have going on. It's almost kind of like, um, agent P and Dr. Doofenshmirtz. It's, it's repetitive, but it's always so much fun. And there's never really any real danger involved. Um, the nursery scene where they fly out over, um, London in the evening, my favorite scene in the whole film. I love, and it's also my favorite scene in Peter Pan's flight. Um, at Walt Disney World, Um, just being able to kind of soak in that scene is always one of my favorite parts of any Disney vacation, especially now that they have the interactive queue, which is so cool. Um, But looking forward to the episode. Talk to you all later.
3: Hi, guys. It's Kimber. I'm just calling to leave my thoughts on Peter Pan. So this is one of those classic Disney movies that I never really got into, and everybody just loves and I never really got it. I don't know, maybe I wasn't one of those kids who never wanted to grow up or whatever. But anyway, here are a few things that I did like. Um, I liked quoting Wendy when she says, but pizza, how do we get to Neverland? Um, you know when people are like, oh, can you do a British accent? I only do British accents when I quote that line or when I quote, Harry Potter, and that's it, because I'm pretty terrible at it, even that quote was probably really bad. But anyway, so I quote that just because I would hear You Can Fly on um, those classic Disney CD albums, whatever. Um, I like Second Star to the Right. I like that song fine. I mean, it's not a favorite, but it's fine. When I was younger, I liked it when Jesse McCartney sang it on Disney Mania. Did any of you guys listen to that? The best. Um, I hate Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. They're both the worst. Peter Pan is such a brat, and Tinkerbell is also a brat. They're just both the worst. But Peter Pan is just, like, inconsiderate and rude, and Tinkerbell is straight up jerk. She's so mean to everybody, except for Peter, I guess, but oh, I hate her, so I never understood why people got all this Tinkerbell merchandise, but she's so mean. Does everybody like her because she's mean? I just don't get that, I guess. But I will say, I like the Tinkerbell movies. Those are really cute. I know probably um maybe original Tinkerbell lovers don't like those movies, but I think they're great and adorable. And they usually make me cry. So I like them. Um, Have you guys seen the sequel Return to Neverland? I remember seeing it a long time ago and getting emotional during it. So I guess maybe it was good. But mostly I just remember the trailer where um, she's like, I'm not Wendy, I'm her daughter, Jane. And so that's basically all I remember. Um Anyway, just wanted to share those few thoughts with you. I'm interested to see what you guys think because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but I understand that a lot of other people are anyway, Keep up the good work. Bye guys. Hey Brothercopers. It's me Sherrigan. here to leave a review for your Japan podcast. Japan is awesome, and I remember seeing Captain Hook at the Disney Parks Wild five and I thought he was really scary, but yeah. The movie's awesome and I need to rewatch that this week. Making a note to do that right now. Also, um anywho, I love you guys. Also just wanted to say that I love the relationship between Morgan and Chelsea. You guys have the sweetest friendship, I just love it. So yeah, I'm gonna let you guys go. Bye guys. Hope you guys have a great week. Never smile at a crock I No
0: you can't get friendly with a croc. The Don't be taken in by his welcome grin. He's imagining
1: how well you'd fit within
4: his skin.
2: Thank you so much, Lou, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed having you. We all have.
0: Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
2: It's really been great. So if you want to know more about Lou, make sure to head on over to his website. You can go to www.radio.com. And you can also check him out on iTunes, Stitcher. I listen to you on Stitcher because that's what my phone has. Android <laughs> user. <laughs> Android. <laughs> and if you enjoy traveling and if you enjoy Disney, you're just going to enjoy Lou. Is there anything specific you want to plug, Lou? Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's it. Um, you guys were awesome. If you do want to find me on on social, I am at Lou Mangiello and com too. And uh, hopefully we can do this again. I look forward to seeing you guys in person at the next conference or something, too.
1: Yes. One of my Second favorite- start of the ride and straight on
0: to D23. Right. Nice. <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> um, also, for show notes, make sure to head on over to rotoscopers.com slash 97. Also, make sure to leave a comment there because we are always on there um, for at least for the next two weeks. We're always on there talking and, and commenting back. So we like hearing what you guys have to say about this episode. And then also on Twitter, make sure to use the hashtags Anim Addicts or Anim Addicts 97. Thank you so much for all these voicemails. You guys are fantastic, and we love hearing from you. So if you want to be a part of the voicemail section, make sure to head on over to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails, or just give us a call at 406-646-6575. And once again, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon, slash Amazon, slash Audible, slash store, whichever one of those you're wanting to head on over to. Yes. We are the page- all there. I just-
1: I just want to give another shout out to the fellow patrons. We have 13 patrons and, you know, some of them are in the patron group. It has been a blast just interacting with the other patrons. You know, we're having discussions all over the place. It's just, it's, it's been such a great time having the patrons be a part of the show and thanks so much to the patrons who have supported us within the first month just a reminder if you become a patron at any level during the first month you'll get a 15-minute phone call with a rotoscoper of your choice so you have to do that before for june 30th so decide to do it after june 30th that call won't be available but the other perks will so if you're thinking about it definitely do it now because hey we all know everyone wants to talk to mason
2: exactly (laughs) (laughs) all right also um you can find us just like you can find lou on itunes and stitcher you can find us there as well if you're on stitcher make sure to give us a thumbs up if you're on itunes make sure to give us a five star or whatever star rating and also you know make a comment and let us know what you feel about the show our newest comments this week was from happa panda bear just don't care gave us five stars and said it's a fantastic podcast interesting discussions and awesome hosts thanks man um, and then also Dizzy Art Studio. Uh, one cool thing I liked from his is he just talked about how he enjoyed that we watch you know, all these different movies and that we're not really biased toward anyone, but that Don Bluth is held in high regard. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> so thank you so much, you guys for making those comments. And also, if you like this show, if this is show this is something that you're like, hey, I am so into this. Do us a favor and just share it with a friend. Share it with somebody that you know will love the show as well and we can all just be happy friends together. Yay! Next episode, guys, this is the big one. Because on Patreon we hit our goal of $100 per month, we are starting to review all of the new releases for animation, which means that our next episode is going to be Disney's Pixar's Inside Out. The day that this comes out is also the day that Pixar's Inside Out comes out, so it gives you two weeks to go watch it and then meet back with us 98.
1: Perfect. Well, okay guys, until next episode, we, we are, are the Road Road
0: Scopers.
2: Scopers. So, for whatever reason, every time we try to add Morgan, she turns into Robo-Morgan. So, <laughs> I'm really hoping that this works out. So, we're going to see.
0: <laughs> this is podcast gold
4: it. right
2: here. It really is.
4: <laughs> I know what it means to live. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she sounded like last time. <laughs>
0: There are no strings on me. <laughs> yeah. That's right. right.
4: <laughs> oh, Ultron.
2: Like, yeah. I'm good. As lo- I uh, just don't know what's wrong with Morgan.
0: That could be a whole <laughs> separate episode. What's wrong with Morgan? What happened to Morgan? She's
4: more machine than Morgan now. <laughs> twisted and evil. Yeah, we'll ha- have an article. True rotoscopers can't <laughs> help but cry once they've seen what happened to Morgan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> just wait till you get to number five.
4: That's they called right. her a robot. <laughs> Hey, Hello. we're going to sound like a robot.
1: Yay. That's an improvement, or maybe it's not. <laughs>
2: it was pretty awesome, I'll be honest. Hey. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. Hello. Just... Hi, we're
4: here. Okay. Well, this is going to be one of those episodes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just got Chana to stop streaming on Netflix, so you guys owe me big time. But
2: um... <laughs> <laughs> Now this is much better, I must it say. It is, that. yes.
4: Okay, then it was that.
2: <laughs> Shanna.
4: Yeah. Well, we need to shout out to Shanna for being so awesome. She is awesome. As a sacrifice, you need to give her um, an
1: awesome book to read during our sacrifice. Her periods. criminal
4: minds watching. <laughs> or I fr- no, it's um CSI.
2: There you go.
4: Morgan, what's two plus two? Four. Hmm. That took a really long time. <laughs> Can't tell if Morgan is just slow tonight or if it was a delay. I think we're all back now.
1: Two plus two. See the thing
4: Four. with six. <laughs> yeah, but it- what if it's a wrong answer? <laughs> <laughs> so-
1: wait, Mason <wait, laughs> he was here and then he left. Come back. Come oh. back.
2: You can never come back. You
1: I just can
0: saw never that he,
2: com-
0: <laughs> he tweeted a picture of himself. <laughs> We're discussing Peter Pan on Adam Addict's podcast with the Rotoscopers, especially with Lou Mangello and he's making a goofy face. Yes. In-
2: that is recent.
0: Alright. Yay! We were just talking about your tweet.
4: On uh, my tweet. I was, um I was about to tweet my um, bi-weekly hate tweet to Sudden Link Communications. <laughs> <laughs> Decided it was...